0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Um, today, we're going to talk about setting up marketing program uh, and a campaign to generate demand for your products and services uh, and acquire customers. Um, the cool kids call it demand generation. Um uh-huh. You might have heard this term a few times. Um, And my guest um, has been recommended by a previous guest of mine, uh, Patrick Campbell uh, from Price Intelligently. And he said, if you're a little bit of an old school marketer, you know exactly who she is. She's one of the original VPs in marketing at HubSpot. She's just a badass. So (laughs) as 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 soon as he said that, I really wanted to talk to my guest today. But before I introduce her, I just want to read a bit of her bio, uh, which is quite impressive. So, 20 plus years of experience in marketing, deep expertise in data-driven, high-velocity customer acquisition and marketing organization, inbound-based lead gen programs to support global demand for high-growth size companies. She's the former VP or CMO of um, HubSpot, marketing Sherpa, SmartBear Software, and now IP Switch. Uh, she's on the advisory board of a few other companies. She spoke at events like Marketing Prof B2B, HubSpot Inbound, MIT Entrepreneurs Forum, Social Media Today. Um, so basically, she's done it all, and she has more experience than most of the people I talk to in this podcast. So this is an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you today, Jean Hopkins. Welcome, aboard.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. And uh, that's a pretty funny thing that Patrick said. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so you, you, you are from the same city, right? You all yeah. work in Boston. So yes. there's the, the Boston Mafia. There's a Price Intelligently. Uh, who yep. do a lot of pricing software, uh, consulting and software. Mm-hmm. There you have Drift uh, yep. with David Cancel. Uh, mm-hmm. and then you have you as well. You seem to be a pretty tight community around Boston, right?
1: Well, it's a small world. You know, it's just like anything that uh, it's, you, you bump into the same people when you're interested in the same things. And uh, it's, it, it is, Boston is a small town, ultimately, and I I, I definitely like all those people that you mentioned and, and more. It's a, it is a small community, yes.
0: <laughs> I'll give you some uh, opportunity at the end to mention a few more marketers, perhaps, uh, that uh, are from Boston or, or that you know uh, that you would recommend. But before that, can you tell us, uh, can you tell the listeners in particular why you almost didn't come to the podcast?
1: Oh, well... Um, you reached out to me, and I get so much email, as you can well imagine. And then um, you were asked me to cance- uh, ask me to schedule some time. And then I, I looked at what you wanted me to talk about. You, it was everybodyhatesmarketers.com, and I was like, Oh no! I thought it was only sales that hated marketers. So <laughs> I I I got a feeling that it was negative. So I sent you a note saying I don't really want to promote negativity because I, I'm a firm believer in being positive that Everything is an opportunity and a chance to do better. So you came back and you you, you explained it very very well, and I appreciate that. And uh, but it just caught me at an odd moment where I just didn't want to talk about marketing in a negative way.
0: Yeah, and, and you and me both. You know, it's I appreciate your honesty there, and I I, I enjoy replying to you because I think it was the first time ever that it happened, and somebody said, you know what, <laughs> no. So it was good. Uh, It kind of tested my outreach skills a bit. Um, You have
1: excellent outreach skills and you're very, very organized as far as the follow-up and everything. I'm very impressed with the the reminders and everything to make sure that I was here at the right place at the right time.
0: But thanks. I mean, it's Canonly. I'm using Canonly, which is a really, really good tool. So yeah, I've learned a lot. I'm thinking back of the first emails I sent on the first guest of the podcast and it was not the same. Uh, you probably wouldn't have liked it uh, by then. No. Um, so let's get in the, 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 the meat of the subject and marketing and demand generation in particular. Why do you think it's so hard for, for companies in general to like, generate demand and acquire a customer in a very systematic manner?
1: Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head that uh, most people don't know how to go about it in a very systematic way. Um, Very often, uh, companies will come up with a business plan or they'll come up with a marketing plan, but it's difficult to uh, think about adjusting. I mean, if you think about where marketing is today, um, it's different than it was a year ago and it's different than it was five years ago. And sometimes you're dealing with um, organizational dynamics, um, particularly in this company at Ipswich, uh uh it's been around for 27 years and that's antique almost in any kind of software company and there's people that have a lot of opinions and their opinions may have been valid five years ago, 10 years ago, but the world has changed dramatically. It's changed dramatically in how we shop. You use your phone for everything. And it's it, these are all things that we have to take into account and you have to think about it for the long term.
0: But surely there are things that have, haven't changed, right, about people.
1: People buy, right? They're, they're always searching. But if you think about you're a consumer and when you want to buy something, what's the first thing you do? Do you open a newspaper? Do you look at a magazine? Or do you look at the yellow pages, which I don't even know if you have yellow pages where you are, but no, you search, right? And you you either go to Amazon and search, like Amazon, if you're going to buy a product, is the number one search tool um, just to be able to look at comparisons. And then then, or you use the Google machine to be able to find something and you're looking for relevance, you're looking for reviews, you're looking for referrals, testimonials. You might ask people that you know, and if you just think about how you buy now, even how you buy a dinner, so, you, you, oh, it's, you know, seven o'clock. I don't have anything to cook right now. So let's go out to eat. Well, where do you want to go to eat? Well, what do you feel like? Oh, I feel like Mexican tonight. So let's just see what's in Burlington for Mexican, Mexican. And let's look at the reviews and how many stars does it have? I mean, my husband and I wanted to watch a movie on Saturday night. Woohoo. Um, and so we, we typically, I know it sounds, well, our power's been out. So that th- we you have this massive storm here. You don't,
0: huh? to, you don't have to feel bad. about it
1: it's... so so we went to the red box to get a DVD which we've been streaming for over, I know really it's like how you know analog is that right because we didn't have any power and um and so we could watch a DVD but it, we didn't have internet connection or anything so we looked at we were looking for movies to be able to watch and so you you look and see what's available in red box and then I said well how many stars does it have how many what are the reviews say because you don't want to waste time. You don't want to waste two hours of your time watching something that stinks basically. And, you know, you're not going to watch something with two out of five stars. You're, you're looking for comparison. You're looking for something that other people may be similar to you, but you're trying to get some relational. And I think this is where things have changed now that we're, we're looking for that relational um, experience. And, and I feel it, we are, um, a huge community and our our, I spend time in Galway at our Galway office and I love Galway. Galway is just absolutely amazing to me. And every time I go
0: yeah. Huh? Galway in Island.
1: Ireland yes yes sorry galway in ireland <laughs> yes and every time i go there i make sure that i i take pictures i do reviews i i load things up on tripadvisor because i i want people to be able to feel good about the choices that they're made and so it is it, 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 and it's funny cuz i got something from um I, I do a lot of uh, reviews for Google as well, and it's funny how they send me notes about, you've had 3,000 views of this particular thing, which is kind of funny because you know what it is? It's a fish place in New Bedford, Massachusetts that that I've had over 3,000. I took a picture of the outside of it. But that's how we, I mean, that's marketing. This is where it is personal. It's one-on-one. And I think that the biggest challenge is we have a tendency as marketers or as business people to think in aggregate. We're looking at these meta conversations. And in reality, it's a one-on-one conversation. And what I find is that many businesses, and, and I always, I ask this. I say this, when was the last time you looked up your company on Google? When was the last time you looked it up? And, and have you moved? Uh, has the telephone number changed? Has your website changed? And people don't think about the absolute basics. And many, many people that think they know marketing, what's the first thing that they do? They change the website. They, they decide that we need a new website. This old one is ugly. But instead of looking, how is it working for you? How many visits are you getting? Where are those visits coming from? How are they entering the website? What pages are they looking at? Instead of looking at how it works for you, they look at the design. And, and this is where I think the big difference is between a demand generation marketer and what I will call an arts and crafts marketer. So arts and crafts, is the, let's change the color, let's change the logo, let's, ch- let's change, let's change, let's change, but they have absolutely no idea of what's working. And I recommend that when somebody starts a new marketing position, the first thing that they need to look at is, what do you have for a database? What do you have? What? What? How recent are these things? What actions have people taken? Have you validated these emails? Are they double opt-in? How do you communicate with them? How frequently? Because once you start looking at the messaging in your organization, you could find that tech support is communicating in this way, sales is communicating in this way, somebody else is communicating in another way with your customers, and they're getting 58 emails from you in a given week. And I know from this company that the sales organization was actually doing what I'm going to call customer marketing. And I'm putting bunny ears around that because (laughs) their idea of customer marketing was spamming, blasting emails, promotional emails that did not include an unsubscribe, using a third party email things. And it was all promotional driven, like buy now, get 60% off. Well, you know what? Now I have in my database of all of our customers, we have 28,000 customers. Of all my customers, only 62% will receive promotional messaging from us, 62%, because sales did such an awesome job of making sure that they didn't want to hear from us at all. So the only email that I can do with those other 38% are operational emails like you're up for renewal or something. And and that's a shame because your customers should be the most important focus for you as an organization. And I think what ends up happening with many companies is I think about there's like three circles. The the most important circle in my mind is employees. Um, Do the employees know what's going on? Are you on one page? Does everybody understand when a product launch is, where the website is, what information you have to work on, who do you have to contact, all that. Employees need to know everything. The next one is customers. Your customers need to know things before your prospects know things. So if you're going to have a price increase or a product launch or you have partners, alliances that you're dealing with... Those people need to know before, well, your employees need to know, first of all, and it's remarkable to me how many times employees don't know anything of what's going on until they see a Google alert in their inbox. And then the last one is prospects. And so you and I are talking about demand generation, but really prospects are the the end game. They're, they're, they're going to be your biggest audience. And remember what I said, 62% of customers will receive messages from Ipswich? 98% of my prospects will. Because they haven't been burnt out by this, you know, the customer marketing that was going on. Actually, in this organization, when I joined, there was a bit of a shadow marketing organization going on in sales. or field marketing, the SDRs, the customer marketing were all being focused in the sales organization. And I'm sure there were good rationale for it at the time. But you didn't have a calendar. You didn't have cadence. And you didn't have solid communication of your messaging. Right. So that was way more than you wanted to hear.
0: <laughs> no, that's beautiful because you, you've been able to introduce a few things, a few questions I wanted to mm-hmm. ask that you already answered. So I think that first step, the first step into like actually creating a strong demand generation strategy is to audit, uh, as you said, what you have right now. Let's say mm-hmm. the, the, the scenario that you just uh, started, which is I'm a new marketer in this, in this place and mm-hmm. I want to make an impact. I want to set up things right. Mm-hmm. You would actually audit your list, the amount mm-hmm. of time that you receive emails, especially during at, at sign up uh, because you might be receiving too many. Am I correct in assuming that yep. this is the first step?
1: At, at the very least, you, you do want to audit your database. You want to find out what's viable, what's not viable. If you're using any kind of a marketing automation plan uh, program, you're definitely going to be paying for names that are no longer viable. Uh, one thing that we talked a lot about at HubSpot is that at any given month, 2 to 5% of your list, this is in a month, deprecates. So by the end of the year, you could have lost anywhere from 25 to 60% of your list, which makes it all the more important to keep filling up the top of the funnel, converting those visitors into somebody that is either completing a form or willing to give you uh, some contact information so that you can follow up with them. And that is problematic for many organizations.
0: So how how do you, once you know what's going on, once you have (laughs) a, a picture of what's happening, what do you advise to do next?
1: well I think first of all you need to know what your tech stack is because a lot of times depending on where organizationally where you are when I came here I wanted to find out you know where were the dollars being spent you want to take do a complete audit of all your expenses I had the team go through a tech stack and you'd be surprised how many things we were paying for that we were no longer using and then I wanted to be able to validate the expense line item on every single thing that we were doing in addition you want want to take a look at your team because what happens is a lot of people hire people to do one job that's like, I'm going to just do email or I'm just going to do events. And you really, email supports events, okay? Events can be webinars, they can be live in-person events, they can be all sorts of things. So how is email working with events? And instead of having all these single individual contributors, you want to put people into small teams and make them responsible for... Generating leads, increasing revenue, making sure that your team understands that you're there specifically, not not just to you know show up and have free Wi-Fi and coffee. You're there to be able to generate revenue, pipeline for your business. And I think a lot of marketers kind of forget that that's what they're supposed to be there for. When you think about the four P's, everybody thinks about, you know, place, how do you sell it, product, uh, price, like that's, you know, I've worked with Price Intelligently for three companies. They're great and they're awesome in so many ways. But everybody only thinks about the P that equals promotion. And that is like the last thing that you should be thinking about. You know, anybody can promote, anybody. Anybody can spend money. Any marketer can spend money. The, the correct thing to do is, are you spending it effectively. And are you what are you doing? What is your cost per lead? What is your cost per opportunity? What is your cost per customer? And you've got to think about it in a fully loaded way to be able to make sure that you you're gaining efficiencies across the board. And this is So you ask me again, where do you start? So I start with the database. I start to see what my tech stack is. I start to see what have we tested, what have we not tested. Because sometimes when you're in an organization, like when I was at HubSpot, I had different team members that were doing the same thing. They were on different teams, but they all thought that they were the the most brilliant people on the planet, which they were for the most part. But I don't need three people, two people doing the same thing, especially since it had already been done before, maybe the year before, and they just didn't know. So some of this is like, how do you onboard people? How do you make people feel responsible? I was talking to one of my team members here today. And I was saying, why was this decision made? I mean, like, who thought that this was a good idea? And she's talking about rolling back some um, improvements to the website. And the person that was responsible for digital, uh, the digital component wanted to, it, it, like, put a forcing function into something that it did not require. Instead of making it easy to use, he made it hard to use. And so she's been thinking about it going, we don't need this. Let's just roll it back. And I'm like... Why didn't you do that to begin with? And she said, because he was so adamant. He was a bit of a bully. So marketers need to own their own things. They need to feel responsible. But you also, as a head marketer, you need to have confidence in your team. You need to know that your team knows what the heck they're talking about. And you need to listen to them.
0: So you said something quite interesting. You said that to 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 to, to make people feel responsible. Instead of making them do one thing, such as you're going mm-hmm. to do email, you give them an objective. You put them in a team that is directly related to an objective, such as converting visitors into leads or converting yep. leads into customers, et cetera, right? Yep. So you talk like the, the first steps that you mentioned seem really to be around auditing what you currently have. So you talked about mm-hmm. auditing your tool stack, yes. auditing, the way you communicate with people, auditing your team and how they organize. Um, And so you would advise to actually organize your teams by key objectives alongside the funnel, alongside the journey, right?
1: Yep. Uh, And that's one way of doing it. Um, It's also, you need to, I believe give a team member's uh, chances to be successful in different areas. I like having a meeting where we're sharing the information of like, where are we as far as lead flow is concerned. Uh, so today I have a meeting, I, I have a weekly meeting with a sales organization where we talk about lead flow and opportunity creation and pipeline. And that is, and to have more people understand that. And it's it's a rare organization. I, I have never joined a, other than HubSpot. Um, I've, I've always been responsible for putting, uh, uh transforming the way we report and the way that, um, you had asked me the question once about what, what, what can you do differently? And I think that marketers are the worst on marketing themselves. And instead of getting in front of it, they're always reacting, 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 reacting to a demand from sales, reacting to a demand from tech, reacting to a demand from IT. And instead, what we need to realize is that we own it. I mean, marketing is the hub of every business. We touch every aspect of the business. We spend the most money. And so we have to prove that we're valued in and we're being cost effective. And yet many marketers... They don't talk about the increase in uh, blog subscribers. They don't talk about the wins. They don't talk about, because every day is a win. I mean, really. And, and, it, and it's not a matter of tooting your own horn, but as a leader, my responsibility is to say, hey, look at what Junko achieved on the Japanese blog. She's up over, she, she increased the visitors to the Japanese blog in February by 43%, which is true. I mean, she it's amazing. And she's responsible for translating the the blog, updating the blog. But look at her. Look at how amazing that is. And it makes everybody feel good about what they're doing.
0: That's a fantastic uh, t- tip. And that's something I've, I'm telling my team as well is um, about over communicating, mm-hmm. overly communicating and to mm-hmm. be proud of those numbers because. Mm-hmm. If if you don't communicate, people outside of marketing won't have a clue what you're doing, and they they think that you're not doing your job. Uh, it, I, I feel that sometimes it, sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's really about communication rather than yeah. actually doing the work. So let's say let's take a scenario where you you join a company that is quite broken in terms of marketing, and you feel that there is no proper generation program in place, and that you feel you have almost to start from scratch. So. I know it's a very broad question and perhaps you can help me to like narrow it but how do you like to typically set up a demand generation program that will systematically bring uh visitor leads customers
1: well that's so um a lot of times you talk about the funnel top down you know visitors into leads into mqls into sales accepted leads and to opportunities but i i believe now that the it's it, it's more of a horizontal Where every part of the customer journey from visitor to customer and then back again is, you know, is owned by both sales and marketing. There is no handoff from marketing to sales. So talking to sales about and taking a look at what is the source of their customer acquisition? What are you looking at? So. When I joined, I was looking, I look at data like for um, MQL creation, and you look at MQLs, and the company was spending $100,000 a month on pay-per-click to generate...
0: So MQLs, just to cut you, but MQL stands for Marketing Qualified
1: qualified Leads, yes. And and that usually translates in many organizations, it translates to a... Uh, uh, a, a lead that would be for a free trial, an evaluation, demo, contact sales, get a quote. So higher value leads. A lead could be translated into, let's call it an inquiry. Somebody that ebook, maybe a blog subscriber, somebody, a webinar a registrant, something like that. But for it to get to an MQL, the MQL gets rotated to the sales organization. Uh, the sales organization is responsible for following up on that particular lead and either disqualifying it or accepting it and agreeing to work on it. Or if they, rather than disqu- a straight disqualification could be ABC at ABC.com, um, but what we've done is we've insisted, we, it, we send the license key for a free trial to their email address so that they had, so we asked for a legitimate e- email address. And so we've been able to improve the quality of, of the site. One thing that I would, would say is that. You need to look at your website when you join the company to find out how leads come into the system, and it's a good way to download a trial, download a contact sales to see how quickly sales follows up on their leads, to see what the nurture path is, because if you've asked for a free trial, you know, thank you very much, here's your evaluation okay. license, then you should get something in a couple of days, like how's it going, blah, 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 and then you have like a regular five or six, uh, just brief little one paragraph of uh, Uh, reminders that follow up on that evaluation or free trial request. So if people don't know how it's working um, and you're trying to set up this demand generation, you want to figure out where's it leaking? So if you know, for example, you can look at standard numbers that you're getting, you know, hundred thousand visits to your website. Um, and for us at Ipswich, we have seven different websites, a language specific. The languages, French, German, Japanese, traditional Chinese, simplified Chinese, and I'm missing English. English. Yeah, good old English. So, um, and we also have associated blogs with that. And what we try to do is find out where are people coming in? What is the source of this? And then how are they converting? So when I mentioned spending $100,000 a month, trying to generate uh, requests for eval, evals of evaluations of the software. Yeah, we were generating them, but further down the funnel, they were not turning into opportunities or customers. So when you start doing the math, and instead the customer acquisition was around $28,000 for these evals turning into customers and for a product that costs $5,000, not a good return on investment. So those are some of the things that you really have to look at. And it does take time. It takes time to figure out where these things are going. And particularly when you have a number of moving parts, but it's pretty, pretty simple to make, look for the low hanging fruit. Okay. So this disqualification. What used to happen here is the sales organization, we generate the MQLs and the sales organization is 100% fed by marketing, which is not normal. That's just not a normal thing. Usually in some capacity, the sales organization is somewhat responsible for picking up the phone and trying to generate business on their own. So it's, it's not unusual, but it's... You know, 100% marketing fed. So when they are asking, they want more leads. They want more leads. Well, I'm I go back to them and I looked at, okay, you're disqualifying leads. You're, they were cherry picking. They weren't even contacting these MQLs. So somebody's asking for an eval. They're asking for get a quote. They're asking for um, uh, contact sales. So 55%. Of those MQLs, highly valued MQLs, were being disqualified by the sales organization for two reasons, unable to contact and no interest. And so you're saying to yourself, how could 55% over half of these MQLs that you've agreed have value? How could they, you haven't even touched that, you haven't talked to them, you're just disqualifying them. And, and so you start to look at the way things are being handled and they were cherry picking based on what they perceive to be the customer instead of even just picking up the phone and contacting them. So we have, you know, 10 form fields and with a telephone number and everything, unable to contact, really? So we've started using um, LinkedIn Sales Navigator here, and so that people have a, a easier ability to be able to track these people and be able to find out like work the company, not just the lead. So it's it's been interesting. And now with um, our newer system that we're we're working on right now, our um, disqualification rate is down around twenty one percent. Twenty percent, I totally get. I get 20% being disqualified for whatever reason, you know, people just like poking around that sort of thing. But 55% for one of two reasons was just ridiculous. Mm. So trying to figure out how are leads being disqualified? How are they being nurtured? What are you doing with those disqualified leads? So what I've done is I've taken all those disqualified leads for the past, for the, the high level of disqualifications for a year. And I'm rotating them through BDRs, business development reps, so that they can follow up. Now, granted, one thing that people don't realize is that when a lead comes through and somebody, particularly in IT, we're selling to IT managers, sysadmins. If somebody is asking for an eval or contact sales or something, you need to get back to them within five minutes. After five minutes, it deprecates to such a level that, if you wait 24 hours to contact them, that IT person is on to something else.
0: Yeah. And I've, I had this experience. I've been shopping yep. around a few times and I'm very impatient. So I like to sweep. <laughs> really? And I, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not an IT person, uh, but I, I, I did that a few times. I was, I'm looking for a marketing platform to do something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm shopping around, I'm contacting two or three people, yep. companies, and straight away, if I don't get an answer within five, 10 minutes, I feel, I feel that they don't really care. Right. And the first person that contact me usually, right. I would spend a, a crazy amount of time on.
1: Yep, and 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 that that's totally accurate. That you're not unusual in terms of your impatience, but if someone has a five thousand dollar headache, you want to provide them with a five thousand dollar aspirin as soon as possible. You don't want to wait a day or two days. And right, it's a it's it, and that that kind of gets back to the one on one, like it, it the human component of it. You're impatient. And, but I don't, I think salespeople think that as a prospect, it, think about it. If you had to wait a day or two days or seven days, and you, how do you think that prospect's going to feel? Like, is this how long it's going to take me to get support? I can't even get an answer. I'm telling them that I'm interested. I'm asking, get a quote. I'm contacting sales. Now, is this how this company operates? and and people don't look at again that becomes the you know setting expectations and and it becomes the horizontal component of the customer journey
0: so let's say i you identify from from the work you've been doing that you have an acquisition problem that your nurturing and retention are pretty good but you're not generating enough leads you're not generating enough visitors to your website what are the typical um solutions to this to this headache
1: it's it's nothing that can be fixed overnight I, I wish there was i wish there was a silver bullet and i wish i could tell you if you buy this that all your problems will be over with it is a long slow slog and it it so for us as an example um some couple of team members spent the past 10 months working on increasing, getting the number of reviews of our product to 150. Once we got to 150 reviews of our product, Google started putting the star rating in our our listing um, for searching. Somebody's searching for network monitoring, secure file transfer. So that gives us more visibility, pushes up our rankings so that we're higher up. It really becomes a, um, you can't buy your way out of this. I mean, it's, it, most companies that you're probably talking to is probably B2B and software, some sort of SaaS environment. Consumer product stuff can, can spend a ton of money, but what we have to do as most marketers is you have to try to grow your business and, and keep it cost effective. Uh, it's, it's not easy to, um, it's not easy to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on things because the board is going to ask you, your your company board of directors is going to say, what are you getting for this money? And so I liken it to... You're a little bit of farming, right the, the, that you're you have to plow the field, you have to you know figure out like, is this going to work? are we going to have enough sun? are we going to have enough water? are we going to have be able to do this seed? But you also have to look at what are people interested in, what is the kind of content that people may be interested in when they're searching for you and this takes time. And unfortunately for many organizations, they look at marketing as, um, one shot in the dark. We're going to send an email. Boom. And then they don't, they don't have a cadence. They don't have a plan to be able to say, we're going to talk to our customers twice a month and we're going to talk to them, the existing customers. We're going to talk to our prospects once a week. And be, being able to build out that cadence. And here's a new customer. Here's the 13-touch email nurture that we're going to do. And then we're going to do a follow-up here. This is how we're going to address things on Facebook. So we've actually been pulling money out of uh, Google AdWords because it's non-productive, And we've been doing things by, uh, if, if they come to us on our particular website, we will start stalking them on uh, Facebook. We'll go to other places. And we're getting lower costs, lower costs costs for doing that and, and higher return because most people are smart and they don't click on AdWords as you're, and the only people that are making money with Google AdWords is Google. So you really have to figure out, there's a lot of levers that you can pull and, it, it, and I can't tell you this is the one, this is, this is your playbook and it's going to work for your particular business because it's somewhat dependent upon stage of the company, somewhat dependent upon who you're trying to sell with, somewhat dependent on how successful your sales organization can be. Um, marketing is a little bit of an art and that's where the experience component comes in. Uh, but most people that are on the team are usually willing to learn
0: why do you think cadence is so important whatever the channels you are using to acquire visitors or prospects or well
1: think about it i mean i'm sure you probably get some sort of email um or you sign up for a loyalty card and then they're real interested in you for like a minute and then they forget about you (laughs) and you you if you're buying something anything uh you, you want to know that there's um there is some sort of a relationship there i believe and it's a in any any organization you're going to have your fan club so at hubspot the salespeople didn't sell to everybody that had a pulse, not everybody that could fog a mirror, right? They wanted to be successful. They didn't want this customer to churn. So there were lots of people that loved HubSpot, and we called them the fan club, you know, fangirls, fanboys. And they were enormously helpful in terms of sharing content, sharing information, and and getting that um, amplification of messaging. But not everybody was going to be a customer, you know, you wanted something bigger. And, and I think that is, you, you have to be able to define yourself because you want an ideal customer. You want a customer that's not going to churn, right? The, you don't want to spend all that time and effort of bringing a new customer on only to have them leave. So this is where the, the onboarding process, the customer notification, making sure that they're part of something bigger. And this is where kind of having regular messaging across uh, this is the cadence, right? And and so many marketers, and, and trying to get ahead of the curve, it's a marketer should be thinking about the next quarter, the next year. How are you going to, we all have events like, you know, product launches and, you know, big events that you have to be at and that sort of thing. But a lot of times marketers just end up reacting, Okay, we have no leads, the sales organization doesn't have any leads, so let's send an email. And in reality, what you should be doing is thinking about it every single week. If you're going to send an email, you're not going to send it to a hundred thousand people. You should send something to a targeted list and then the sales team should know that you're going to send this and then they, they do a call blitz to be able to follow up. So if it's existing customers, you know, how are you tied? How are you aligned with the, the sales organization or the renewal team in terms of being s- successful? And so when I talk about cadence, it's the plan. It's like, what are you trying to achieve without inundating your audience? Because you don't want to have 38 percent of your customers not wanting to hear from you because all you ever did was just offer discounts. So, I mean, it yeah, exactly. So, you want to have some value there, right?
0: Thanks for your honesty there. Yeah. Uh, I like this <laughs> idea of the, the fan club in HubSpot, and the reason why I like it is, I, I think a lot of marketers are also very focused on trying to acquire the right type of uh, customers. But on the other hand, they forget that, as you said, some people that are not necessarily the ideal customer can help you find this ideal customer. Mm-hmm. They right. might have colleagues, friends, family members who might...
1: Referrals, mm-hmm.
0: right. Exactly. So this is why when, when you think about acquisition and really acquiring like visitors to your website and writing on a blog and starting a podcast or YouTube channel, It's not necessarily always about your ideal customer, but about who can we reach out to that can influence my ideal customers as well, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, And you know, you bring up a good point because not everybody can be found in the same way that there's people that listen to podcasts, there's people that like to watch videos, there's people that like Instagram, there's people that like Twitter, they like LinkedIn, they like, it depends on how the, the messaging, how that you're getting found. And what, what ends up happening is many marketers, they try to boil the ocean right out of the gate. They just figure like they can do everything and you can't. So try doing one thing well, like th- this podcast can be repurposed um, as a blog post. Um, you could transcribe this conversation and post it as content on your website. You know, think about those things that you can do. Do fewer but better things rather than just like a whole lot of activity, just a whole bunch of noise. You don't, there's a lot of automated functionality that you can use out there to help you with your social media challenges that are relatively low cost. But what I see is people, they, they say, we're going to start a blog. We're going to do a YouTube thing. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And start somewhere and then start to inform these other channels and, and it, it, think about recycling. It, there is no reason, there is no reason that you can't repurpose things seven different ways. And unfortunately, people don't think that. They think everything needs to be brand spanking new and unique. And in reality, no one has that much time or that much budget <laughs> to be able to do About that. Apart from
0: Gary Vee, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, yeah.
0: He's I've prolific. I've this <laughs> mistake so many times. In the past, as a junior marketer, so many times trying to boil the ocean. You know, you want to look good with your boss, so you're trying yeah, to yeah. do everything. You and then the second thing you mentioned, making yourself look good by trying to come up with something new that nobody has ever done before, and you, you kind of drain yourself and get so you just burn out. at, at the end, yeah. if, you, if you keep yeah. doing, and I've done it, so I know. And this is why you mentioned this podcast. It's it's just a side project for me, but I've learned this very well. It's like, I do one thing. I interview someone every week or Mm -hmm. some, some weeks I have more than one. I have Mm -hmm. a backlog and I just do a podcast and I have a team, um, that also transcribes the episode and put it on the blog. That's it. And I'm not planning to do more and I'm fine with it because I know that this is my limit that I can do outside of my full-time job. And I'm very happy with it. And now it's been almost a year and it's paying off. Right. Uh, And so this is kind of a good lesson for people, especially junior marketers, I feel, that try to do everything. Yes, focus on one thing, do it well, and then you can recycle it. You can repurpose it, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So from your experience, what are the key ways to recycle, let's say, uh, you know, blog posts and that kind of stuff? What have you done in the past that worked well?
1: Well, something that is pretty easy is that um, you can aggregate content, and um, something that I started at Marketing Sherpa, did it at HubSpot, did it, I I continue to use this, is that doing a chart of the week. And the reason for doing a chart of the week is you can take data using your own template, your own colors, your own whatever, and put your logo on it. You put the source of the information, so, you know, the source could be whatever, but you colorize it to your colors. You can post it in the blog. Um, and it, it becomes something that if you build a deck or you can also post the individual slide to slide share, because people are always looking for data to be able to support their conversation. So if you're not following eMarketer, eMarketer, is, has, that's how they do it. They aggregate all this content, they repurpose it into their own colors of black and red, and they post it. That's what they do every single day. Um, another aggregator of uh, of uh, content, I and mean, look at USA Today, has a, a chart in every single Uh, newspaper that you could take that particular content and use it. And then at some point, if you use it in your blog, you can aggregate all those individual charts into an ebook, you know, pick the content. There's another blog post. uh, If you write 10 blog posts about X whatever the content is, you can take those 10 blog posts, you can write a uh, an overview blog post that links back to all those 10 posts, you can build a, um, a uh, uh, an ebook out of it, you can convert it into a PowerPoint slide and, and post it on SlideShare, you could do a voiceover on it and post it to YouTube. So we just had four purposes of using something that you're just aggregating uh, content. Now, a lot of times, industries um, let's just say finance as an example. I know this great guy, Dan Moyle, um, who works for American Mortgage and he's a big HubSpot person. And he, he, he's a customer. He does a great job of talking about what's going on in their industry. And he writes about it on the blog. And now he's an authority that he gets tapped by national media because he's been out there for so long and he has that credibility. And those are some of the things that you can do that are very easy. But again, it takes a certain degree of time. And you have to say to yourself, I'm going to do a chart. I'm, if I'm going to do a chart of the week on whatever my industry thing is, you got to have somebody doing it. And it, it's an easy thing to delegate to an intern. I mean, they, they can pretty much do that pretty easily. Uh, and you can even send, send them, um, send the intern or whoever you have, a junior person, oh, this is the kind of content that I want. Infographics. Infographics are constantly used, and I, I just, I, I, it's, it's, I'm the daughter of a newspaper man, okay? My dad was the editor of a, a city newspaper in Western Massachusetts, and I learned how to figure out, how to find a story. And I think maybe that curiosity, maybe from a marketing view of the world, when you're creating content, people are always looking for that silver bullet. You know, I read a lot of blogs. I'm like, what the heck are they trying to say? Like, how am I going to get better from this? And and I think that if you could figure out a way to be able to inform your audience, be able to inform your customers so that they they take away some nugget of truth, they take away something that adds value to them, that makes them look smart in their company or to their board or to their su- su- supervisor, that's a win.
0: And. I can definitely vouch for what you just said. Good marketing takes time, I believe. And I think that's not something people say that much because, as you said, they are looking for this silver bullet. Mm -hmm. At the time of when we're recording this episode right now, it's been 11 months that my podcast is live. Mm -hmm. I've been publishing one episode every week since then. And only now, only in the last months or so, am I starting to receive emails inviting me to speak on like webinars and other podcasts and stuff. So great. Well, without me promoting it, right? But the point is that. It took 10 months to just get there. And yeah. it, te- it took a lot of work, but now am I starting to see momentum uh, building? I'm not trying to just uh, make myself look good when I say that. And just, as an example, to <laughs> but show it's true. the principle that you just- And that's
1: uh, the cadence and the constant communication. You've done it once per week. And I think that what ends up happening is people lose faith and and they don't realize that, uh, you know, I've had to say over and over again, this is not going to happen overnight. It's just not going to happen. So you have to be able to be in it for the long game. And a lot of people give up. So I use the concept of a newsletter. Any marketing person, you know, has to do a newsletter at some point in their career. And I say, the first time that you do a newsletter, you've got HR there, you've got engineering there, you've got marketing there, sales, everybody, and you have 37 stories for your first newsletter, right? That, That goes out to all your employees. So you're going to do it monthly, right? That's what you say. First one, 37, you know, whose babies were born, what birthdays, who joined the company, blah, blah, blah. The second one that you do has about 17 stories because the people that you reached out to, they they, they don't have the time anymore. The third one has maybe five stories in it. And then nobody ever does the fourth monthly one because they've lost the momentum, they've lost the internal interest. What they should have done is said, okay, these are things that we can do that are easily replicated across the individual months. So I spend time, because I see a lot of stuff across my desk, and when I see stuff, I send it to our internal newsletter thing saying, we should highlight this, we should talk about this, we should be doing this. And it, when you start a newsletter, you should say to yourself, if you've got 37 stories, there's some things that are evergreen. So if you look at the rule of three, you could talk about a product, you can talk about something fun, and you could talk about something that's upcoming. Anybody can do that. Absolutely. You can make a you could do a weekly email on that. And and if if people did that, if marketers focused on the three, the rule of three they would be much more successful than trying to boil the ocean and have 37 things that are nothing more than distractions.
0: Well, I think you've summarized uh, (laughs) the last 40 minutes or so pretty well. So let's move on to the next and the last three questions. Okay. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, or even 50 years? They need
1: to feel comfortable with video and doing podcasts like this, they need to be comfortable speaking. Um, They need to be able to, uh, because marketers increasingly are going to be in front of boards, they're gonna be in front of their employee uh, situation. And so taking uh, Toastmasters classes or um, Dale Carnegie or something like that, learning how to speak and be comfortable speaking in a wide variety of settings. It doesn't mean that you have to be aggressive and it doesn't have to mean that you have to be super knowledgeable, but to be able to take your message as an organization and be able to distill it and present it in a way that... Um makes sense for the organization, I think is more critical than anything. And it boils really down to communication. Um, and I can't tell you what's going to happen in 10 years, because things that we're using right now with artificial intelligence, there's going to be a lot of things, the jobs that are going to become automated. I, I think that I, I was at a B2B conference two weeks ago in Arizona. And there was a great guy talking about where things are going to be going. So jobs like, um, you know, Salesforce admins, the uh, operations people, that's going to be automated. But what's never going to be automated is creativity. So how do you explore your creativity? Not in an arts and crafts way, but how do you approach solutions? So grad school, I I love the statistics class because it was, it was mathematical, but you had to inform what the results were. So you had basically a heuristic, but what did it mean? And I think the creative solution to that is what does it mean? What does it mean today? What might it mean tomorrow? And how can you better inform this decision that you're looking to make? So I think creativity and your ability to be able to communicate effectively becomes incredibly important.
0: What are the top three resources you would recommend listeners?
1: <laughs> well, listen to this podcast. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> and uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick Campbell's uh, blog and his, I, I would definitely subscribe. Um, to his blog and get his content because he is so remarkably insightful. Uh, follow Mike Volpe. I work for Mike at HubSpot and Mike Volpe's at Cyber Reason right now and follow him on LinkedIn um, and, and anything that you can learn from them. Um, but I think one thing that marketers need to think about is if you don't have any sales experience You should look for a way to get some sales experience because until you've walked in the shoes of a salesperson and understood the need for quota and how hard it is to do their job, you've got to figure out how to get some of that kind of experience because it's real easy for marketers to say that salespeople are lazy and it's real easy for salespeople to say the leads stink and I need more of them. But you need to have a degree of empathy to be able to understand how hard their jobs are.
0: And in general, a level of empathy for anyone, really, putting yeah, yourself in, in your true. customer's shoes and, and your team's yeah. shoes and et cetera, et That's et cetera. true. That's true. Jean, uh, you've been absolutely amazing. You were able to answer my question without me answering, the uh, without me asking the questions, which is quite <laughs> fair. Uh, so that's cool. Like you, Well, you
1: prepped me. You told you sent okay. them to me over and over and over again.
0: <laughs> I <mean too laughs> and much. I read them
1: on my phone and I read them on my laptop. Yeah. so I was prepped, man.
0: <laughs> Where can uh, listeners connect with you and learn more from you?
1: Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Gene Hopkins. Uh, You can also link with me uh, at Gene Hopkins on LinkedIn. Looking forward to that.
0: All right, Gene. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email lists. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.